Welcome to Adulting, a podcast where we want to adult every day. Download episodes at adulting.tv. Welcome to Adulting. I'm Harlan Landis, and I am here as always with Miranda Marquit. How are you doing today, Miranda? Actually, today uh, it's very appropriate that we're talking about curveballs because I have a bit of a curveball. I'm a little bit sick. Oh. So, yeah, I've been dealing with that for uh, the last week or so. So, uh, hopefully, we get through this. But it is a bit of a curveball, and it has been kind of uh, frustrating me over the last few days. Yeah, it must have derailed at least some of the plans that you've had. Definitely. It definitely threw some things off. I'm a little bit behind in my work. I wasn't able to engage in some of the social activities I would have liked to engage in. And uh, I sort of collapsed into bed one night and it was just sort of weird. All right. Well, I hope you feel better. Um, and maybe recording this episode will be just the thing to pick you up. I hope so. And how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm I'm excited to talk about this. I I think uh, my life has been full of curveballs, <laughs> so I think this is a, a great thing for us to talk about. So yeah, so let's talk about that for a little bit. I mean, we we hear about people who have overcome difficult environments, things like poverty, home life, socioeconomic status. We hear about these stories all the time about how people overcome it, and there seems to be a key, right? There seems to be some sort of secret formula for success in these circumstances. Yeah, and, and what we're talking about right now are probably some of the worst curveballs that life can throw at you. If you're listening to this, chances are that the curveballs you experience day to day are a little bit um, easier to deal with. But still, it, it's all relative, right? It all depends on your perspective. But in, in this study, that th there's several studies. One, one study uh, took place over the course of 40 years. So they're really following people to figure out how they survived some of the worst circumstances. They found that the key is resilience and just being able to bounce back. But what makes someone able to bounce back. And uh, there were a few studies that that dealt with this, and uh, we'll have a link to them in uh, if you check adulting.tv. But the, the key, there were two keys. The first one is to have uh, a role model or caregiver that you have a very close bond with, very strong bond. I think that turned out to be one of the most important things. But even more important than that was just having a sense of control over your environment. And uh, scientists and psychologists call that an internal locus of control. It, it's just this idea that the actions you take and the approach and your feeling towards things can actually have an effect on your life and improve your life. And in fact, the most resilient people all believe that they can have an impact on their life despite the fact that things happen to them that are beyond their control, like generational poverty or not having a support system at home. So let's talk about that idea of control a little bit. I mean, we, we talk about all the time, you, you can't control the situation around you, you can't control other people. Because sometimes this stuff happens, and I get it all the time from my son, and I've been guilty of this, of course, in my life as well. It's like that whole, the, the refrain, it's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this stuff comes up all the time, right? I mean, somebody does something stupid to you that impacts you. I mean, the last time I was in a car accident, it was because a woman wasn't paying attention and she 
I was coming down the road. I had the right of way and she was coming out of a business and she came right out into traffic and you know, hit my car. And it's totally not my fault that she hit my car. We all have these things in our lives all the time where there are situations where we're like, oh my gosh, this is not my fault. And then sometimes we get stuck there. It's very interesting when we're talking about, uh, you know, putting blame on a situation because I, I always go back to the situation where I was working um, for a nonprofit and I had a boss who believed that everything that happened to you is within your control. There was no uh, give and take at all. Uh, you show up to work late, it's your fault. Doesn't matter if there was, it, it doesn't matter if you planned extra time, um, say the road was, you know, completely shut down, there was no way for you to get around. It's still your fault for not having prepared for that eventuality. Now, there is something to be said for looking and figuring out what in your life is really your fault and what are the things that you do have control over. Do you have control when you oversleep and miss a meeting? Is it your fault in, in a way? Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. And you really have to figure out how you can set yourself up so you are using the control that you have as much as possible. But being born a certain way, in a certain place, at a certain time, there is no way that you can accept blame for that. It is something that is absolutely beyond your control. Um, and some people can come out of those situations improved and some can't. But the key to that and to every other thing that happens in your life, whether it's waking up late, getting in a car accident, is realizing that regardless of what happened, whether I could control that or not, I can control how I react starting at this exact moment. And I think that is the key to resilience, realizing that you have control from this exact time going forward. Yeah, and I like that point because it really helps you keep things into perspective a little bit. Uh, whether change is bad or good uh, often depends on how you look at it. Because you you won't know the long-term effects until later. You're not really going to understand how it all shakes out in the grand scheme of things until farther down the road. I mean, you know some of your immediate impacts. I mean, there are some things that are very blindingly obvious today mm. uh, when you have these issues. But down the road, you won't know uh, exactly how the long-term impacts will be. So that's actually something you have a chance to shape uh, as you go over time. So the way you react to things gives you that opportunity. And one of the things I've been working on uh, is, uh, as my son enters his uh, second year as a teenager, as he starts becoming 14, uh, we have issues sometimes. And I am learning <laughs> that the way I react to these issues affects our relationship and the way things are. And so I have started changing. There, I can't, I can't change his behavior. I can't change the fact that he's moody and his frontal lobe isn't developed and he's got hormones raging through his body. I can't change any of that. But what I can change is how I react to it and how I want to build our relationship going forward. So it's a rocky path, but I have a chance to shape this. And what I do today and the way I react to things that are beyond my control with his behavior are really what's going to set the stage for the way he lives his life down the road and also the way we interact with each other for the rest of our lives. So what did you change in the way you react? <laughs> 
mostly uh, the way I'm changing, the way I react to things is I'm not immediately getting angry about things when he does something stupid mm. <laughs> because all teenagers do stupid. I did stupid things. We all did stupid things. But I started changing the way I react to things. I stopped immediately reacting with anger and I stopped immediately reacting with some sort of consequence. And I've been dialing back the sarcasm. He thought oh. the sarcasm. Yeah, he thought the really? sarcasm. Yeah, right. He thought the sarcasm was funny when he was younger. But now that he's a teenager and things are much more serious in his life, <laughs> uh, the sarcasm is not helping. And so so I've dialed back the sarcasm. I've changed uh, the way I react to things. And uh, I've made it a I've made a very conscientious effort to not yell and to speak calmly. And a lot of the time, just let him talk for long periods of time without interrupting him so that he has a chance to get it all out. That sounds very positive. Going back to what you said about whether an event, a curveball that happens is good or bad, like say losing a job, it it feels a certain way in the moment. You know, we won't know until later on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, because the loss of a job could lead to something that's a whole lot better. There's just this, you know, perhaps there's a transition period where you need to figure that out. You know, again, that's taking the action to, to figure that out and making it better. I think we get caught into this trap of just assuming that any time our life goes off the path that we expect it to be on, that it's a negative thing. When we react based on that assumption, then we kind of reinforce and uh, make it worse than it has to be. Uh, lose a job, lose a girlfriend or a significant other. These are all things that happen in life that we we don't necessarily plan for because it's not what we want. But we can turn them into, you know, for lack of a better word, an opportunity. I mean, it's all very, you know, this is all kind of basic self-help stuff. But taking that time right now to think about it in a positive way is going to be the way to really live out this idea that these curveballs can actually be positive changes in our lives, even though we don't plan for it that way. And to go on that curveball metaphor, because if we're calling them curveballs, we might as well say, well, yes, someone throws you a curveball, hit a home run. And of course, it's cliche, but that's, I mean, you, you have to take what you're given and make the most out of it and just go on the assumption that it's going to be positive in the long run. You do realize that a good batting average still means you strike out two thirds of the time, right? Well, yeah, and I think most <laughs> of the most people do. I mean, we certainly fail more often than we succeed, and it's just those failures are minimized, and successes are, you know, we feel good about them. I think that's a really good point that you make right there. Failure, we've talked about this in the past, that failure is not the end of the world, and sometimes you're going to swing and a miss. But when you do hit that and you do connect and you do make that home run, it is a great thing and it can really help you uh, reset your path. And I think part of that is uh, not freaking out when you have had a bit of a strikeout. Yeah, and I think that's so important uh, because reacting strongly and just losing your cool or taking it out on other people or just having a negative experience is going to just compound the problem. And if we can if we can just take the approach of openness and being accepting that this is a situation, I've done what I can to control it, 
it wasn't enough or things didn't work out and now I can control going forward and just being aware, mindful of how this situation progressed, why it happened, and what you can do going forward to make the most out of it. I think those are, you know, the, the key is to just take this, take this approach that's very calm, collected, understanding, and open. Instead of panicking, having a panic attack, controlling that as much as possible, Real, really being in control of your emotions. And of course, that's not easy for everybody. And it really creates a barrier when you can't do that, though. Yeah. And I think this, this takes practice. Uh, you don't just wake up one day and, you know, hey, I'm totally zen and open to what's happening in my life. This takes practice. And one of my favorite things that I read recently was uh, from Emma Johnson, who did Wealthy Single Mommy. After my divorce, which was something I didn't ask for, after my divorce, I really did have a hard time. And I was really struggling. And I struggled for quite a while, even after I came to terms with it, even after I had peace with it. Uh, I was still, you know, kind of a hot mess. And to a certain degree, I am to some to some degree. But one of the things she wrote is, you know, after your divorce, you have a one year pass to be a complete hot mess. I really liked that because it kind of gives you permission to break down a little bit and let go a little bit. And so even though, you know, we're talking about, hey, resilience, hey, moving forward, hey, looking forward, sometimes you need that grieving process when something really happens that goes against what you expected. When you lose a job, when somebody close to you dies, when you have another big financial disaster, when you have a change in relationship status, uh, when you have a, an injury, all of these things require some measure of grieving. And so I think it's okay to sit down, take a step back and say, okay, I am going to break down a little bit. I am going to let go a little bit. I am going to have this kind of grieving process and sort of uh, be a hot mess for a little while. But you do have to realize that that has to end. And then you do have to move forward. It's interesting that you say that because I don't think the grieving process is, is really the same as freaking out. I think everything that you went through is actually a part of having the positive attitude going forward. I know you're, you're calling it a hot mess, but it's not really. I mean, it was more of you discovering yourself in, in this particular situation. Oh, and so sweet. And no, I'm, I, it, I, I think it was very positive because... It was being open. You didn't close yourself off. You didn't lock yourself away and deal with it on your own. But you did open yourself up to different possibilities that were out there. And, and I think that's part of the positive. I don't, I don't think that's, you know, saying that you have to, you know, be a mess first and then kind of get yourself together. I think that being a mess is a positive part of recovering. By being a mess, I don't mean like doing anything or, or being aggressive or taking it out on other people, but just focusing on yourself. And, you know, it comes back to that. Especially making it about yourself, I think, is important because when these curveballs come, when something hits you and it's not what you're expecting, a common first reaction is to think that you did something wrong or there is a problem with you, you know, you're fired because you're not good enough, you broke up in a relationship because there was something wrong with what you were doing. But almost all the time, these situations are just never about you. They're about the situation, they're about another person. And just accepting the fact that this is someone else's issue, someone else is dealing with something and they have to deal with it. 
putting that outside of you is a great way to just be able to move forward and then be a hot mess or find a new relationship or find a new job. You can finally move forward when you realize that there's nothing wrong with you. It's about other people. Yeah, I think that there's that fine line that you have to find that balance you have to strike between uh, what can I do to prevent this happening again or what can I do to take control of the situation and move forward as well as saying, okay, this isn't all my fault. And you have to have that strike that balance because to some degree there are things you can do, but at the same time, you know, you, you don't want to put too much on you. So you have to find that balance. And it can be very difficult to find that balance between saying everything's always my fault and nothing is ever my fault. Right. And it's usually a combination that the truth is somewhere in the middle. And you need to find that balance if you're going to move forward. Right. The big issue is just being stuck in this idea that all of this happened because I'm not good enough or there's something wrong with me. And you just have to move past that as quickly as possible because A, it's not correct, and B, it stops you from making the most out of what could be a great opportunity. Right. And let's talk about comic books for a minute. Let's talk about superheroes. Okay. Let's talk about Luke Cage. All right. Because <laughs> that's some good stuff happening right now. Yeah. Have you been watching that show? Yeah. I'm super excited. I Well, you know I love superheroes. And I love this sort of stuff. And I love what Marvel is doing on Netflix with their gritty superheroes. And I love Luke Cage. Uh, Jessica I've, Jones was good, too. Oh, Jessica Jones. I totally identify with Jessica Jones. <laughs> <laughs> so Jessica Jones is super fantastic daredevil was great and i'm excited about luke cage it looks it's off to a great start yeah and i really like the whole always forward uh motif that's happening yeah one of uh, pop's advice to luke cage is you know always forward just you know forget about what's happened in the past and that's what the whole show seems to be about i really dig that because it is all about making the most from this moment in time forward. You don't even have to ask why things happened, really. You just need to know who you are and what you're doing, at least for the moment, and go from there. Right. And I like that. And I like that it's uh, all about the focus on things that you can control. You can control your actions and you can get your feelings under control and you know move forward. You can't force anyone to do anything and you can't force the world to conform to what you want, but you can still make a plan and you can still move forward in that context. Yeah. And I think it all comes down to realizing what you do have control over and what you don't have control over. And like you said, you don't have control over your son and his raging hormones, apparently, and everything else that's going on in his life right now that he takes a certain way because he's, you know, at a certain age. Now, of course, as a mom, you do have some control in that you can shape him to have some of these things that we're talking about now. So he can, as a teenager, begin to realize how he reacts to certain situations as well. But you only have so much control over that. You can you can provide for him what he needs and everything. But yeah, you cannot control other people. So stop. <laughs> stop trying. <laughs> please, stop trying. please stop trying. And, and, and please stop expecting people to to do what you want them to do 100% of the time that you want it. And, you know, communication, communication always helps with that. One of the things, though, we were talking about control, control the situation, control these things that happen to you. Sometimes when something happens, you do want to go back and at least fight against it and see if maybe there's a chance you know, maybe there's a chance that you can actually reverse the situation. 
And sometimes reversing the situation is a way of moving forward. One of the difficult things is kind of knowing when putting too much into that aspect is a bad thing. If, for instance, let's go back to the working situation where, you know, you're at a job and your supervisor tells you, listen, something's really not going right. If things continue this way, we're going to have to let you go. At least you're aware of the situation right now. And if this is something that you want to work on, you're given, you know, you're given an idea of what you can do and you can kind of reverse the situation. But other times, if you're fired or if you know that's coming down the pike, it's something that you can't reverse and you don't have the control or the things that they're expecting are not things that you want to compromise on and you just have to move on. So you have to find where the opportunities to fight back are and fight back to a certain point and know what that point is going to be or you have to move on. Moving on is almost always a better choice um, because if a situation happens, often it's it's for the best in some form, but sometimes you got to fight for it too. Yeah, I think part of being an adult and part of growing up is, is trying to find that line and trying to figure out uh, what is worth fighting for and what you're just going to have to walk away from. And sometimes it's hard to know that, especially if you've been fighting for something for a long time and you kind of fall into that sunk cost fallacy, Mm, right? I've put so much into it that I can't stop now. When in reality, sometimes you just need to cut your losses and move on. But finding that is is very important. And there are things in my life where I very specifically focus on, there are two or three things that are uh, non-negotiable things for me, basically, and a couple of things that I am willing to uh, fight for and fight for uh, a difference, even even if it may seem futile. Uh, And identifying is important. Because you can't do everything all the time and you can't make everything worth fighting for. So you really do have to. It goes back to what you were saying earlier about knowing yourself. So what are those non-negotiables for you? Oh, no. <laughs> we're getting, It's Miranda's therapy session today. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I think one of the ones that I like to use as a good example is here in Idaho with my political involvement and my activism, a lot of people say, hey, that's a losing battle. You know, you're fighting a losing battle. But I think it's important work. And I think that Idaho has a lot to offer. And I think Idaho could definitely improve. And so to me, it's very important to keep, you know, working for that and working for a better quality of life, you know, for for Idahoans in general. So so that's that's just one of those. And then the other one, of course, is just, I know it's going to be my son. And There are some things where you're just like, you know, why do you keep working on it? What are these battles you're fighting? Uh, There are some battles that are worth fighting with your children and you just need to pick those. You know, some of those are things that I am working on with my son right now. In my life, I've seen some of my greatest opportunities start out as disappointments. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You've had you've had a lot of talk about that. Yeah. And and so this is a familiar story for anybody who's read consumerism commentary or anybody who's listened to adulting. We've definitely talked about this a little before, but, you know, it's an example that fits in with what we're talking about, all these curveballs that were thrown at me. And some of them were due to my own stupidity. And I'll freely admit that. But, you know, again, I had to figure out what to do to move forward from there. You know, I I had a financial disaster when I was younger. And I realized that I had to turn my life around. And I just documented that online. It became a blog and it became a business and it became one of the keys to helping me get out of my financial despair. And, you know, at the same time, I also lost a relationship. So I had to figure out that part of my life. And a lot of people find that rejection 
can be a soul-crushing thing that prevents you from moving forward. But going back to resilience, I think there's a bigger chance for you to succeed if you take rejection as motivation for working harder, working better, working smarter, doing something differently so that you don't get rejected again. Not everyone is motivated that way naturally, and I know I'm not. I mean, I, I grew up with a very supportive environment, and I received a lot of support. I didn't really get the chance to figure out how to react to rejection yeah, other than just kind of ignoring it, moving on, and, and that maybe that's the key. But yeah, I think being motivated by rejection and disappointment and something that's not going the way you expect it to be is such a strong key to resilience and then uh, overcoming, you know, the more you can do that, the more you can overcome all of these things that hit you from the side. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, I mean, do you sometimes feel like it helps if somebody tells you you can't do something? Does that ever motivate you as well? You know, for me, it's I'm, I'm still not that kind of guy. I mean, I was not often told that I couldn't do something. I was more often told that I could do whatever I want if I work hard enough or if I apply myself or do this, do that. There's no reason that anything in this world is beyond something of, you know, if I wanted to be a very talented musician in a world-renowned orchestra, all I would need to do is spend a lot and a lot and a lot of hours practicing. Now, of course, that wasn't something that I wanted to do, but I knew that it could be within my realm of possibility if I really wanted it to. So, I haven't encountered many people telling me, no, this is something you can't do. Maybe I've been able to avoid people who take that approach and tell people such a thing. Um, or maybe it just hasn't, you know, it, it hasn't come up, I guess. But I also don't, you know, I, I try to keep my goals within a re the realm of possibility. So I'm not, I'm not doing something crazy. You make an interesting point there. You said people you're around haven't been dragging you down. And I think that that goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, finding that role, role model or caregiver who can help you. And that, that really helps with your resilience and really helps you overcome your curveballs. And I know that part of the reason that I moved from outside Philadelphia to Idaho Falls, Idaho was because I knew I would have that support system after my divorce. My mom is here. Uh, my dad, I mean, both my parents, I mean, they're still married to each other. So they're here and they're always willing to help. And then the other thing I discovered through this process is that I have a lot of really, really amazing friends, including you, Harlan. Aww. I have a lot of really amazing friends and I never really thought about needing help before or wanting help before. And after this experience with, with my divorce, I realized that there are people who care about me and are willing to help me. And I think that that's a really important point from the beginning of the episode that yes, part of that resilience, part of that overcoming the curveballs are who you surround yourself with and who you spend time with. And are you choosing people who you can support and who support you back? Yeah, the support system is, is so key and having people who encourage you and are realistic and will tell you, you know, sometimes it's not what you want to hear, but they will tell you the truth, but also very, very supportive and want to see you succeed. Having that in your life is very important, and not everybody has that. Uh, so when you don't have that, 
you know, what do you do? You have to kind of come up with this internal support system. And that is that can be really difficult. It can be a challenge. But again, it's something that can be overcome if you are aware of it and if you realize the importance of it and figure out what you need to do to go forward. Yeah, so let's talk about avoiding curveballs. Like, how do you plan to avoid them? Is there any way to, like, stop them coming into your life? Yeah, I don't think it's possible to stop all curveballs, but I think we can reduce the number of distractions. But the best way to do this, though, is to take a different approach to making our goals. And you, we may decide that, uh, you know, we want to have a, you know, we want to open a restaurant, say, and we want to, you know, we want it to be like a national, nationally known restaurant. So, so say that's our goal, right? And then what we do is we work backwards to figure out what we need to do in order to reach that goal. What we're going to find when we work that way, especially if we have really, you know, we're starting from scratch and don't have any kind of real knowledge of this goal that we're trying to achieve. And even if we do have pretty insightful knowledge, since we're working backwards, there's a bigger chance of things happening along the way that are going to derail us. I think that we should take a different approach to setting goals, one that starts with where we are right now and figures out, you know, what are the incremental steps that we need to take going forward? And of course, you still have to have some kind of general idea in mind of, of what the end result should be or where you want to be with your life. But having that so concrete is what causes us to be super focused on one thing and ignoring opportunities that come to us from different angles. So that's why I like the idea of starting from where we are now and branching out from there. We have a broader view. We have peripheral vision. We can see things coming from the sides. We're open to different experiences, things that are going to perhaps shape our goal in the end and show us a new direction to take. Yeah, I think part of that too is is understanding you know, what you do need to take to move forward, what steps you do need to take to move forward. But I do like this idea of starting where you are and moving forward because uh, moving backward rarely, rarely works. <laughs> and, and looking backward doesn't help much either because then you find yourself stuck. So what are some of the things that you can do to be resilient? I, one of the things I thought was neat was uh, University of Pennsylvania had some competencies for resiliency, things that you can work on in your own life to become a more resilient person and better able to deal with these curveballs. So what are some of these that they found? Well, I think it's really interesting because not everybody is born resilient. You can actually right. <laughs> learn how to accept these things that come into your life that are unexpected and may derail you, right? You can learn how to deal with these things. And and the, the study at the University of Pennsylvania came up with these six uh, competencies. So uh, like you said, we can focus on these, we can improve them, and then we are better able to handle things that hit us from the side. Um, so, uh, you know, one of these, the first one, I mean, it really doesn't matter what order. These aren't uh, in any particular order, but uh, one is self-awareness. And we've talked about that in the show already, being aware of how you react to things, being aware of who you are and 
what your personality is and how you deal with things, how you don't deal with things, and just being able to kind of acknowledge where you are right now. Yeah. And I like that. I always like uh, self-awareness is always something that's important and something I've been working on in the last couple of years. Um, another one that they have is self-regulation. And that that goes to modifying your behavior and response. And I'm a kind of an impulsive person. And so the self-regulation is something that I know I need to really work on. And we've talked about that a little bit, especially in my responses to my son. So that's a big thing is that self-regulation is a very, very important part, I think, of resiliency. Right. And a lot of that has to do with not being immediate when something happens and just stop for a second or longer than a second, or as much time as you need, and think, how am I going to react to this in a way that's going to help me down the road? Yeah, and it really goes hand in hand with self-awareness, the self-regulation, because once you are aware of the way you react to things, once you're aware of the the things that push your buttons, Mm -hmm. you're more likely to be able to self-regulate. And then another competency is optimism. That is not a trait that everybody has. Um, Some of us are optimists. Some of us are pessimists. But the one approach that's going to be better off in the long run is being able to look at these things that happen and find the positive, uh, find a positive angle that's going to help you recover or move forward or just keep doing what you need to be doing. Yeah. And I think along with that optimism is this mental agility is the fourth competency that they mention. And it's this idea of being willing to try something new and move forward to think clearly without distractions, to understand what you need to do. But I really think the willingness to try something new is the most important part of mental agility and resilience because what we've been talking about is saying, oh, well, how can we move forward with this? How can we change the narrative? How can we change our approach? And the way you react and being able to say, well, I'm going to get out of these old modes of thinking and try something new can really help you uh, find new solutions to your problems and move forward in a way that you couldn't if you keep getting stuck in old thought patterns. What I find interesting as we're going through this list is these are, these are you know, personal personality traits, personal competencies, but also in businesses, businesses that are good at these competencies survive, right? Right. Agility, optimism, regulation, and awareness. So far, everything that we're talking about, these are all good business properties as well. It's, It's not just how you react as a person, but also say you're running a business. You want to be able to have a high level of of these particular competencies as well. Yeah, and and kind of going on, uh, they talk about uh, character strengths, you know, leveraging your own personal strengths to help uh, you overcome challenges. And I think part of this is also knowing the strengths of those around you, of your support system, so that you can lean on them in places where you're weak. Yeah, and, and this is really interesting because at some point in my life, Although people had been trying to get me to improve on my weaknesses and say, oh, you have to get better at this or else you're never going to be successful. You have to do this. Things that were weaknesses. And you know what? I had a lot of strengths and I can balance those strengths and I can lean on other people who can help with the um, with the weaknesses. 
it was more beneficial for me to focus on honing in on those strengths than to try to fix, spend a lot of time and a lot of money fixing fixing these weaknesses and training and doing all this kinds of exercises that was just unnecessary because, you know, there are strengths that you focus on and there are weaknesses. Some of them you can try to improve. Some of them you just use your support system and your connections to help cover for that. Yeah. And, and you mentioned connection and that is the sixth competency is the connection, that communication, that support system, and being able to communicate your needs. And I think also part of that is being able to listen to others and understand what they need from you. And we've talked a lot about in this resiliency about you know, ourselves and focusing on ourselves. But I think part of it too is, uh, especially if you're going to have resiliency in your relationships, you also need to know how to listen to others and and have that communication with them uh, so that you build those relationships and you can rely on each other. Absolutely. Let's talk about some of our do nows. And I think these relate back to these competencies, because I think those are really the key to being able to handle the curveballs that life throws at you, especially if you're not a baseball player. So what's one of the things that one thing that we can do right now to improve one of these competencies? Yeah, so I think one of the best things uh, is identify how you react to bad situations. It's not enough to think about how you'd react, but look at your past behavior and be honest. You have to be brutally honest with yourself when you're going forward with this. If you want to develop resiliency and develop that competency of self-awareness and be able to move on to self-regulation, you need to identify how you react to bad situations, how you've done it in the past, so that you can look at that and say, okay, this is what I need to change. So figure that out. I think that's the first thing you need to do is is take a few minutes to sit down and be brutally honest with yourself and say, how do I react to bad situations? Yeah, we tend to have this idealized impression of ourselves. And say someone asks you, well, what would, ha- what would you do if you lost your job? Uh, and a lot of people think about the job they have now and what would happen if the situation arises in some hypothetical situation. But that's not really going to give us a good answer. What's, ge- what's going to give us a good answer is looking back to how you have reacted in the past. Now, we, we say, you know, always look forward, but you have to be aware of what your actual behavior is, not what you think your behavior will be. Uh, and, that's, and that's how you have self-awareness and become, you know, more inclined to be able to react in a positive way. Right. And then the next thing you want to do is reach out to your support system. Uh, Stay in contact. This is if you have been neglecting some of the people in your life that are very important to you. Uh, now is the time to reach out. So do that today. Just send them a quick text and say, hey, I've been thinking about you. How are you doing? Yeah, we are all guilty of this. Uh, You know, we there seems to never be enough time in the day to reach out to people. But having that support system there is going to be crucial and and building that support system network with people in a positive way find people who are doing similar things as you or have similar goals or have a similar life path spend some time with them get to know them you can be a great support system for people and people can be the support system you need for when things hit you unexpectedly And finally, one of the things you can do today is make a plan that starts where you are today. Uh, Figure out one aspect of your life that you want to improve or one goal that you might have and sit down and make a plan for that one goal, but do it where it starts with you are today. All right. That's fantastic. So 
We have a listener question. This one is as follows. I can't seem to catch a break. Every time I start getting my feet under me, something else comes up. How can I get out of this cycle? Yeah, this is a hard thing because a lot of the time we feel stuck in this cycle. And one of the things that I have found works specifically for me is when I do something new, when I do something different to change up what's been happening. Sometimes it's as drastic as moving from Pennsylvania to Idaho. Sometimes it's something drastic like that. And sometimes it's just a small thing like Uh, waking up 15 minutes earlier so that I have time to set my intention for the day. I have a little journal that has prompts in it, uh, things that I'm grateful for, Mm. things I'd like to accomplish for the day. And then at the end of the day, I'm supposed to write in, you know, what went well today and what's one thing I could have improved on. Just making that small change in my life to say, okay, I'm going to wake up 15 minutes earlier so that I have time to reflect, to do this exercise, to to work on this, um, actually helps me. And there are days when, uh, even though I've set my intention for the day, it doesn't turn out the way I thought it would because I've had a curveball. But I find that it's just a peaceful way to help my life. And so, so these changes that you can make can actually break you out of the cycle and bring you a new way of thinking. And so for me, when I feel like I'm getting in a rut, I try to find something new to change about my life so that I have a new way of thinking about things. It doesn't make all of the curveballs go away, but it does help me better deal with the curveballs and move forward. I think that's a great answer. And I don't really have anything to add to that. I I think it's just perfect. And it's completely aligned with what I think as well. Okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So how do you deal with curveballs? We'd love to hear from you. So come to visit our site at adulting.tv. Join the adulting community on Facebook and let us know. How do you deal with curveballs? And what's one curveball that happened that you weren't able to deal with? We would love to hear some stories. Oh, yes. We love stories. And in the meantime, go ahead, subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher, leave us a review, and feel free to send us your questions. We'd love to answer them. And join us again soon for Adulting. Thank you for listening to Adulting. Find resources for this episode or download other episodes at adulting.tv. Adulting.tv.